Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. And this episode that I'm going to share with you is going to really resonate with you if you're trying to have a child and you might have had failed treatments, you might have reached a point where you need to step back and think about the plan B, the what if. I'm going to be talking about World Childless Week with its founder, a lady called Steph Phillips. It's an event that happens in September. This podcast is going out middle of August 2018. And I'm also going to be talking to a lady called Emily Wardman, who has a campaign called Infertile Friendly. And it's about the spaces that you find yourself in, in hospitals, when you might have had a procedure, for example, you might have had to miscarry, and then found yourself on a maternity ward. You might be in an IVF clinic having had a failed cycle and have come out of a consultation and there's a couple with a child there. And one of the things that I'm trying to help raise awareness of is the sensitivity that needs to be put to those of us dealing with infertility in the medical environments that we're having to spend quite a lot of time in. Now, I'm really aware that both of my guests are from the UK and I know that you listen all over the world and I love you for that. And I really don't want to seem too UK heavy, but I do try and choose topics to discuss that I think are applicable wherever you are. And whilst the kind of finer detail is going to be a bit different, the ideas and the passion behind what can be done and the voices that we can give to these issues, I hope, are really relevant to you. Um, And if not, if it's annoying you that I'm not talking about where you are, then please let me know. I need your help to to broaden the reach of what I can do here on this podcast. If you're just listening to the Fertility Podcast for the first time, my story is that I had successful fertility treatment in 2014. My son is three and a half and I launched this podcast once I was successfully pregnant and I've spent the last four and a half years talking to fertility experts as well as people working in this space doing things like you're going to hear from my upcoming guests as well as people sharing their stories and I always always want to hear yours so my details will be at the end of the podcast of how you can get in touch. So now I'm going to welcome Steph Phillips from World Childless Week. Steph and I met at Fertility Fest where we sat next to each other. I was chairing a panel called The Unborn Child and I've shared that audio on the Fertility Podcast feed and you can see it on the Fertility Fest website as well. And it was a really, really moving chat and Steph and I said we need to talk more and we're talking more. So Steph, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. Well, I was really moved by your passion and your just wearing your heart on your sleeve about how you feel about how people who are childless, not by choice, are perceived and are dealt with. And it's kind of your mission to change that perception and, and, and help others understand how you feel and, and hopefully get things dealt with more empathetically and sensitively in different scenarios that we find ourselves in. So. Let's just talk a little bit about you and what led you to do the work that you're now doing. I always think that when you're childless, not by choice, by circumstance, whatever sort of like 
name label you want to give yourself that you find yourself falling into situations rather than planning because you don't plan to be childless so it was purely I think from my frustrations of eventually finding support online and like that bringing me out of my shell to be the stronger person I am now but realizing there's so little information awareness out there and we're a growing minority a big growing minority but we're still not understood by people we're overlooked so it was a case of what can I do what do I want to do and I don't know how the heck I came up with the idea of world child this week and you sort of know the rest but it was never a planned thing it was just something within me that I felt needed to be done and at the time nobody else was doing it so I sort of took that step up or that step forward so had you been through fertility treatment or had you just tried and not been successful? Yeah, um, I didn't meet my husband until my early 30s. We didn't start trying to conceive until my late 30s, so already things were against us. Um, we found out literally at the age of 39 that we both had problems. Um, the one that gets me is they go, oh, you know, uh, the nurse said, if he manages to make you pregnant, it's unlikely you'll carry full term. Wow, that's encouraging. Yeah, and it's like, thanks, you've just given me a double miracle need. And it's like, at the time, you're just emotional, you know, running away, crying, everything else. But it's only literally in the last year, I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, how can they say it's unexplained if they thought I wouldn't carry full term? Right. Because that's almost a contradiction, isn't it? And it makes you question and want to go back and say, hang on a minute, how do you know I wouldn't carry full term? So that was it really. And because of my age, they said, go away, lose weight. That was one of the factors. Come back in six months and we'll see what we can do. At that time, it would have been less than six months to my 40th birthday, which at the time was the NHS cutoff point for IVF. I went home found my one true love, the one thing that I could go and speak to that would never answer back, would listen to me, which was food. So I didn't lose the weight. I gave up hope from that appointment and, you know, the double miracle need. And I didn't think that we would self-fund. It didn't even come into my mind. My mind was too scrambled. So that was where we sort of gave up and that's where everything fell apart towards being a parent. Because I've been putting uh, more emphasis on talking about the need for emotional support recently. There was two interviews that I shared. One was with the National Fertility Society about the work they do and another was with a psychotherapist about the importance of, of having this place that you can go and talk and work through and, and even having it at the start of any type of fertility treatment. And if, if you'd have had access to that, I mean, it would have probably been such a different outcome to rather than you going home and and sabotaging yourself ultimately because you were given the news in such a bad way. No, I agree. I think there should be support from day one. As soon as there's any concerns over issues, there needs to be some sort of acknowledgement that you need some support and it doesn't have to be funded by the NHS that can be free because there is so much free online support and the best support is from people who are going through what you are going through they're the only ones who can totally you know they'll see your heart and they'll see what you're saying and they'll understand it 100% and can give you the feedback and the answers you might not like but you might need and that support and the community aspect is a big part of the work that you do and I was quite amazed that in the session that we were in together at Fertility Fest, Tessa Broad, who spoke from her book, talked about how she didn't really know anybody in a similar circumstance to her, that she hadn't really talked to anybody in depth about feeling the way that she felt. What did you think when she said that? Not a surprise, completely understandable, because I 
when when I went to the doctors and everything, no, but no offers of support from anywhere, no acknowledgement that it was a grief. Um, just basically, we can't help you go away. And I did go away and buried my grief. I, I've lost track of time, but it must have been four or five years of not doing anything. And it was purely a search on Facebook that brought me to the world of support groups. But now that I actually admin support groups, I can tell you that virtually every person that comes along says, oh, my God, I didn't realise there was support out there. I didn't realise that people understand. And it's not a case of just people in their 20s, 30s and 40s. We've got people in the group in their 60s and their 70s, people who have said comments in World Childless Week are saying, like, you know, after 40 years, I'm so glad to find out I'm not alone. And that's scary. It's so sad to hear that you know we're having to deal with what is such a loss it's such a bereavement when you expect that you you grow up assuming that you just would have a family and then you have that transition into trying to accept that you are going to be childless and then you're like just left to drift in what seems like a wilderness and unknowing of of communities like the one that you've created mm. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's the case because we're sort of almost still, it's almost like you're brought up, you get married, you have the house and you have 2.4 children. And when you don't do that, it's a bit like, oh, okay, so where do I go? Because I thought I'd be a mum. I thought that I'd be like taking the kids to school, taking them to the grammar school. Do you know what I mean? Like it gradually is the process of your life changes because you see them children grow up. And when that dream, because that is what it is, that dream is taken away from you, then you're just like, okay, so my life's completely flipped on its head. Where do I go? What do I do? Because I don't fit in where I thought I would fit in. It's that acceptance now of who you are and your identity, isn't it? Yeah, but it's hard when your identity is completely flipped and that's what takes people so much time. And even when you've got that acceptance, there's still always going to be hiccups along the way that you cannot possibly foresee. And it's those that catch you out. And that's what people seem to forget, I think. Those hiccups are things that you've been kind of capturing in the blog post that you share on your website from from guest bloggers and I'm sure the conversations in your Facebook group are supporting those flips and things like how other people perceive you if that conversation comes up have you got kids no and I'm assuming the conversations you're having with people is helping them manage their way through that navigate their way through with useful words or or just coping tactics I think a lot of the times as well literally people come on just to say I just needed to express it to somebody who understands and you'll get people who will understand because they'll say oh my god last week last year today because it's ongoing, but people can relate to it. And it's almost the case sometimes I'll say, I'm going through this situation, I've just come to the lose to come and type to you because I need to have that support. Mm. And, you know, I've done it myself in the past and people might not have the right words, but they'll literally come and just go hugs. Mm. If you've got 20 people saying hugs, you just know 20 people for that millisecond or a few minutes longer, if you're in for a few hours or a day, have thought about you and you're not alone. And that really helps, even if they've got no words that can resolve the situation in just knowing you're not alone again. It's a big thing. And I'm interested, I mean, we're speaking beginning of July and we're heading to the summer holidays and, you know, the the, the child frenzy that's about to ensue. How that makes you feel, how you deal with that when everywhere you go, I mean, it's not like you're anti-children, of course you're not, but it obviously becomes so much more prominent through the summer holidays and like activities are going to be geared towards families how you manage your way through that for me luckily now because I'm more accepting of it 
it's not such a problem. But I agree that you cannot go anywhere. You cannot get out of bed, turn on the radio, turn on the TV, look at a magazine, stand at a bus stop, go to a shop without being reminded that this is very much the family season and everything is family orientated, whether it be tickets to a theme park, going on holiday, eating at a restaurant. I buried it for so long. I've sort of done a different way of healing, I think, to a lot of people who are facing it earlier on coming to social media and having that support, which is better. But it means everybody's so different. You can't give guidelines. It's a case of if you can afford something that's going to hurt you, avoid it. It's not being selfish. It's not being insensitive to other people. You are nurturing yourself. And if that is what you need to do, then you go ahead and do it without guilt. Don't let other people try and put blame on you, because I think that's a lot of the things that come through there. But if you can afford situations, that is good. If you can't, you have to go and deal with them. It's hard and it doesn't always get easier instantly that day or the next time, but it does get easier over time. And it is a horrible thing to say that time is a healer, but that is a true reality, I'm afraid. You know, I, I can't think of words of wisdom to sort of say how you can afford it because you can't, you yeah. can't. Unless you stay in your bed and close your ears and close your eyes, you cannot avoid it. All you can do is try and accept that you can't change it and go to people who understand and get your frustrations out if needed. Well, also, I think that there are more child-free hotels and there are more adult-only type places that you could look to go to. But then I suppose you don't want to feel like you're making a real big deal of it. But I know that there are... There are some. And the problem with holidays is such as they'll say, oh, we're selling this as a child-free hotel. But just because the holiday company you've gone to doesn't mean the holiday companies in a different location do the same. So I know experiences of people will try and do that and then find out like a German company or French company, they just allow kids in hotels. It's not exactly, you need to go, you know what I mean? So it can be upsetting when you go somewhere that you think is going to be completely child-free and it's not. Mm. So yes, you can look for those options. You can as well start to try and socialise with people through the support groups or any other thing that you find and perhaps arrange to meet them and actually make those connections with people. If you can see somebody face-to-face rather than online, and this is the problem again because we're we're around the world and there might be a few hundred people in a group, but if those hundred people are spread around the world, you can't necessarily get out to meet them. Mm. But if you can, um, Jodie Day and her meetup groups for Gateway Women, they're spreading across the world. So there's an opportunity there to go and meet people who do understand. And I think that's important. Because I guess it's ultimately taking ownership of this new identity and making sure that you're not having this pity cast on you from people and and being seen as less which was a really interesting blog post that one of your guest bloggers Emma Palmer she talked about and her her post was called was, was talking about how to refer to yourself and I think like you've just said we want to see the positive in this where possible okay you've had to accept and I'm talking as somebody who's been fortunate enough to have a child so I don't want to speak out of turn but ultimately you've got to move forward and you've got to and I see Jodie and I see you and I I, I see what you're doing and 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 how you're living your life when I saw Jodie I think she just come back from Ibiza and I think she's she's there most of the time and you know that it's looking at these positives of what you can now do with your life and your time Jessica Hepburn who's just swum the channel and is about to climb Everest you know that think of the things that you could achieve without driving yourself mad but I think it's re it's reprogramming yourself isn't it into what could be definitely as you know like you say it's finding your plan b it's finding something else that you can use or do in your life that will inspire you or will possibly give you a reason to find your worth because a lot of us feel unworthy 
but I say just having children is one thing in the world it's not what makes you worthy mm. what you do for others what you do for yourself is what makes you worthy it is a good idea to find the perks but you don't want the parents telling you about the perks as in sleeping late, having a little bit of extra money, if you do have that, it's not for everyone. But it's finding the little things that do make you happy each day and then sort of centralising them. And it could be a case you change your career. You could go and help work for a charity. You could nurture in a garden. There's lots of different ways to do it, but it's finding the one that sits right in your heart again. And is it fair to say that you don't have to rush into this? Oh, my God, you can't rush into it. You can't force yourself to be happy when you're not. Mm. You can't force yourself to get not grieve any longer. Because you see people quite impatient with if they've if they've had failed treatment and they've had to accept that they stop and they've had to now try and get their head around. Do they just want to fix? Because you've gone through this scientific process, it's like medical procedures, and then it's like what next? And you you just want that band aid. Yeah, yeah. You hit a brick wall when you suddenly realise that's it. And admitting to yourself that you've hit that brick wall, that is it, is bloody hard. Mm -hmm. And then to actually break down those bricks and get past it, once you slowly start admitting to yourself and get more confident, it does get easier. But it takes a long time. And people, as you say, will say, well, when will I stop hurting? You don't necessarily start hurting this week, next week or next year. But there will come a point in time when you'll be in a situation, something will happen and you'll suddenly think, if this had happened a year ago, I'd have burst into tears or run out the room. And I didn't. And you sort of almost analyse it. That's what I find. You think, wow, that just shows that I have moved on, Mm -hmm. that I have accepted this situation. But I don't think you notice it happens until it does happen. And you can reflect backwards rather than looking forwards almost. Let's talk a bit about the forget-me-not. Yeah. And why you've chosen the forget-me-not as as a symbol for World Childless Week and what you hope people will will use it for? Yeah, it's got um, a few different meanings. It was one of the flowers that represented or came because represented September when World Childless Week happens. It's a weed, but it keeps coming back. It's resilient to being put down. It keeps coming back. When you see it, it's not just one on its own. There's thousands of them. They're together. They're a community. Forget-me-nots, the whole word, we will not forget the children we dreamed of. And also, we do not want the world as a whole to forget us, that we exist, because we do feel overlooked. So it's a case of saying we will not forget our children. So don't think to say, don't worry about it. You haven't got children. They're never born. They were never took a breath. You ever fell pregnant. So how can you mourn something you didn't have? No, we will not forget what we dreamt of. We will not forget the names we chose. So therefore, we will not forget our children. But we will not allow people to forget us we, as I said, we're a growing minority and we're starting to speak out a lot more than we ever did. There's so many more names coming to the forefront of getting on the TV, in the media. And it's a case of we will not let society forget us. So it's a whole bundle of what we wanted for and what we want for ourselves. And that's why I chose the Forget Me Not. I love it. You've, I've got like a tear rolling down my cheek. Oh, don't say that because I'll start. You know what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so World Childless Week is the 10th to the 16th of September this year, 2018. We're going to, it was the first one last year. Was that right? Well, yes. And um, I think you were quite blown away with what happened, weren't you? Just a little because I, I, honestly, <laughs> I honestly did expect when I suggested the idea of a few friends before I sort of went public with, they said it was a good idea, but I thought people would be like, oh, yeah, maybe, but I'm not going to get involved. And I, I envisioned myself writing a blog every day of the week and grabbing blogs off the internet and putting them on this page on Facebook. Um, never done blogs before. Didn't know what they'd come across like. Thought they could be absolute rubbish, but I was going to do it anyway. And 
that was all I thought. I thought maybe if a couple hundred people see it, that'd be great. If a few thousand people see it, that'd be blimmin' amazing. I'd be astounded. So when people from the support group, Charles Path to Acceptance, started to say, we'd like to write something, we'd like to contribute to it, and bloggers came forward as well, it really did take me back. Um, I think I might have said the figures before, but for fear of repeating myself, but for the same case of loving telling everybody, there were just under 100 articles that week. We had the post read by just over 123,500 people. Can you be more specific with that number, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to remember it. It was just like, you know what I mean? I can't, it's like, say, it blows me away, which is why I have to keep saying it. Yeah, but in, on Twitter as well, I think I sort of started tweeting about a month before or something like that, thanks to Berenice Smith of Walking Our Shoes. She set up... Um, chats online and everything else and suggested we use hashtag world charlie's week and that one was tweeted 1.2 million times over the seven days wow it is remarkable it really is and amazing and we're going to do more nearer the time um just let me know are you are you still looking for bloggers i mean i know you have all guest bloggers is that something that's an ongoing you're interested in people sharing their work with you yeah the website is still up it's still very new i'm still getting used to it and feeling the way there's still updates to go in there but i'm happy to take on guest bloggers as we said we're having people who are mainly charlie's not by choice i've had the one lady emma who came on who has actually gone through the situation of thinking she wanted children not having children ends up now calling herself child free but feels it's strong that we unite as childless and child-free people she's a real positive outlook mm. which is why she came on i really loved what she had to say i'm only this week now i've released what the topics are for the week and i'm starting to say to people if you'd like to contribute please get in touch with me through the website and we'll see what we can do together because it is about being together. It's not about me. It is World Child's Week for everyone. Well, we'll make sure all the details of that are on the show notes for this episode. And also just want to talk about the kind of ongoing campaigning work that you do to help people understand how you are being treated. You talked about making sure that you're not forgotten. Um, and I know that you've been involved in trying to get more understanding in, in hospitals, in, in GP surgeries, when women are having to go through various procedures, who they're then placed with, especially if a woman's had a miscarriage and is put on a maternity ward. What have you been doing around that? It's something that I feel I felt really strong about for the last few years. And it recently came up on a local women's group in my area that they were asking for parents to put their opinion across about maternity services in Worcestershire. Me being me came on straight away and said, I'm not a parent. I'm childless, not by choice. Would you like to hear my viewpoint? She said yes, which was great. I then went back and created a survey for the members of Child's Path to put their feelings and thoughts into, created a report, sent it off to this lady. It has now been given out amongst the people on the committee. I've explained that basically it can be extremely emotionally painful, that can for some people last for years, as some said, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, they still have a fear of anything to do with maternity wards, visiting them for procedures because of the emotional stress it caused. Um, I'm hoping that because of this realisation, even if they can't do physical manoeuvres with changing a separate ward for childless women to those giving birth, that they could have a little bit more empathy. The comments I heard for people literally just being put under were comical, like, oh, that's it, no more children for you then, because the notes weren't read. Or somebody coming around from procedure and they're going, oh, just to let you know, we had to take this bit away so you won't be able to have children, and just walking away. It, it really is, the comments 
are horrifying that people have had. There needs to be empathy, there needs to be a reading of notes or say this woman is having this procedure, she can't have children, this procedure will stop her having children, whatever. They're just just empathy costs nothing. Mm. And if we can get that across to every single person who deals with somebody dealing with childlessness, that would be a first step. And obviously we're talking in the UK and I always want to stress this for this podcast because I know that you listen all around the world that with the the name of Childless Week being World Childless Week, it obviously is relevant to you wherever you are listening. And if this is something that you have experienced or you want to try and voice what Stephanie is voicing where you are then go for it and I'm sure Stephanie would be more than Stephanie more than happy to to, to talk to you about it yeah is I'm, that right? I really, really want to get a network of people in that who will come on board and help me spread the word around the world because we need to get more people out there you know there are already people who are involved but the more of us, if we can use World Childless Week as almost like just literally a title that we can all go under mm. rather than being lots of different divisions, if we can use that as a title, it doesn't have to be my name. I don't have to be associated with it. But it can just link us all back to one place and show how strong we are rather than being lots of individual groups. We can say, hang on a minute, there's a force of us here and there's this many thousand people paying attention to this one week. This shows you that I'm not talking as an individual. I'm talking for an entire community. Yeah. And it's not just women. And I know you put a big emphasis on, we had Father's Day in June in the UK and you had a number of blogs. Robin Hadley, who I've spoken to this podcast, who I know is one of your guest bloggers. You've got that male perspective. And so any guys listening do know that you're not at all forgotten in this. And I know that you want to hear from the guys too, Steph, don't you? Definitely this year, because we're actually having one day of the week as Men Matter too, And we want the whole day to be dedicated to any male who wants to speak out about anything. Yeah do with childlessness it's a real big thing you know we often think women are the ones who talk women are the ones who get out there and communicate with each other and men often get put to the sideline we've got to remember for every woman who's childless there's a man somewhere out there feeling the same and before I let you go just tell me your Facebook group we will put the details on the show notes of course but that's where a lot of the support is happening second by second isn't it oh god yeah it's, it's always busy the support group is childless path to acceptance the second group is Childless Chit Chat and the third is Childless Perk. The reason I've set up the three different groups, one is purely for support, Childless Path. Childless Chit Chat is to talk about anything and everything, but not about being childless because it's a case of you can often go into different rooms and groups and chat rooms and stuff and you'll be talking and somebody will go, oh, here's my flower that I grew next to my child. Here's the photographs I've took with my child and the children always sneak in. So we want this room to be... No parent talk, no kid talk, no childlessness talk. It's just about chatting and feeling in a safe zone that way. And then Childless Perk is where we have fun. Childless Perk is saying, hell yeah, I'm childless. I didn't want to be here, but if I can't find a perk, I'm going to have a giggle about it here. I don't want a parent telling me this is a perk. I'm going to tell myself it is, and I'm going to tell you it is. And we enjoy and celebrate the perks that we didn't expect to find so about the child. with me now? Well, there's the obvious one in there. Sleeping late on the weekend. Everybody loves to sleep late. Or you fancy going out on an afternoon meal. There's no kids to worry about. You don't have to think about going... With a bottle of wine or two. Exactly. You can have a drink. You don't need to worry about the hangovers in the morning. There's nobody to get up early for. You know, the list can go on. The holidays, as you say, you can go when you want to go. You don't have to think about the responsibilities of children. But there's lots of more. There's lots of silly ones, but we giggle about them and smile. And it can make your day sometimes. Good. Well, Steph, we'll put all the details, like I say, on the show notes. We'll speak again for the September World Childless Week event. We'll work out when we're going to do that. 
and keep on doing what you're doing and it's lovely to chat again thank you i really appreciate it and it's been lovely talking to you keep listening to get the details of the show notes which will be at the end of the episode and before we hear from my next guest emily a note from my sponsors who help make this podcast possible if you're looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive Pregnacare Conception and Wellman Conception provide advanced nutritional support. They include zinc, vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the UK Department of Health. Pregnacare is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby. And to find out more, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop. The Fertility Podcast is sponsored by Infertile Life. For you, if you're trying to conceive and struggling with preparing yourself for IVF treatment... The Enhanced Fertility Programme will enable you to improve your physical and mental health and get the support you need to get pregnant faster. It's all online. And to find out how you can join today, visit infertile-life.com forward slash EFP. Okay, so my next guest is Emily Wardman, who, just to explain, Emily spoke to me having just had an operation because she's got a spinal fluid leak near her head and neck, and she'd had this operation to try and seal the gap, which she'd said to me she didn't think it had worked because she was still struggling with quite full-on headaches. And she'd said to me that she might not make all that much sense. When you hear how passionately and amazingly she talks about what it is she's trying to achieve... You'll agree with me that she is another amazing woman. All of what you're doing at the moment is to focus on the importance of there being more sensitivity for women and men. Um, But are we right in saying predominantly women in the way that they are seen through the system through various stages of, of treatment? The nature of infertility is a lot of the investigations are a little bit more intrusive for women. So whereas men get their sample and they get it checked, women have to go through a lot more rigorous um, investigations with their infertility. I found through eight painful years of infertility investigations, um, gynae consultations, operations, scans, internals, bloods, I've had to sit in wards and waiting rooms for hours watching all the excited women who were pregnant coming and going with their partners, surrounded by conversations about pregnancy, um, pregnancy posters and campaigns. And when you're in that place, the only person not heavily pregnant sitting there for hours in waiting rooms, it is such a painful, painful place to be. It robs you of any strength you have. It makes you feel a real sense of um, low self-worth because you're surrounded by all the women who are pregnant. You know, sometimes you see them smoking, going out for a fag, and you're, you're surrounded by a visual reminder of what you desperately want and what you can't have. This whole campaign started through a conversation on a forum called Health Unlocked, which you might have heard of. It's for people facing the challenges of childlessness. And a lady shared her story of going through a hysterectomy at a young age and she was ending her journey to motherhood in a ward again surrounded by pregnant women listening to conversations about babies Um, and the trauma that she went through through having to sit there for days recovering from a really physically you know disabling operation mentally you know stripped her to her bottom surrounded by pregnant women and she managed to survive she said those few days 
Um, and then she went to her physiotherapy class and it was in an antenatal class surrounded by pregnancy paraphernalia. And she just said she lost it because all her grief and all her trauma she was going through and the system was being so insensitive to her need to be kind of cocooned from that at the time when she was most broken. So as this lady kind of opened up about her treatment, it started this massive conversation about other women and what they'd gone through with their own story, whether it had been through miscarriage early or late, whether it was a hysterectomy or going through many, you know, consultations and operations and um, like myself sitting in waiting room after waiting room surrounded by pregnant women and there was this real sense of um, how we were being disregarded as people. We were being left traumatised by insensitive treatment in our hospital wards and waiting rooms and we were all doing something very similar. We were all burying this pain and keeping silent about it. I'd never spoken to anybody about kind of the pain that I felt sitting through hours sometimes waiting for an internal um, when you're surrounded by pregnant women and often you're going to these appointments on your own you're not there with your husband um, and I'd never spoken to anybody about you know sitting there sobbing sometimes because it was just such a painful experience um, and and even IVF clinics are oblivious to this pain um, I've found this out um, every time I've gone to an IVF clinic, despite them having a policy where you're not allowed to bring children, they have babies there every time I go. And I miscarried in 2016 after our first cycle of IVF. And as we were leaving the room, coming out of finding out that we no longer had a heartbeat, we had to walk past a couple with a child. And it was like a dagger to my heart at the time that you're at your most vulnerable one lady on the forum stated we are forgotten our pain isn't accepted and we're not validated and my experience and the experiences of a lot of people that I've spoken to since doing this campaign has really been that um it's interesting because mental health is a real current issue at the moment it's in the headlines all the time um, for couples struggling to conceive over a long period of time, 90% of them are left feeling depressed and 42% are suicidal. And this is, you know, such shocking um, numbers, but there's very little support for them. For couples experiencing infertility, a lot of the time if it's going through IVF, you have to go back to the IVF clinic for two sessions of um, counselling. It's nothing. I've waited eight months on the NHS for um, you know, CBT counselling and training, which was just sat in front of a computer screen. It's, um, there's not enough there for people going through infertility. And a lot of the time their experience is made worse through the institutions that are there to help them. Emily, I can hear the emotion in your voice talking about it and I know that you're, you're well versed in, in your pitch, so to speak, because of how important it, it is to you. And I want to just talk a little bit about the petition because you're on this mission. And again, as I say, when I focus on things in the UK, this is still relevant to you wherever you're listening to this podcast because I'm sure you've experienced this. The ideal would be separate rooms for these different appointments and awareness of the impact and so thought about the kind of posters and the campaigns 
it's just an oversight, a complete oversight. I think currently in our system, it's not even a thought. I have to say it's not even a thought. If you think about, I, I live in Manchester, the MRI is a fairly new building. I spoke to a nurse who had to miscarry in a labour ward surrounded by people who were mums. This isn't a building that, you know, is ancient this is something that was planned recently built recently and it, it's not be even been in the thought process so you know for me this is a campaign yes we've got principles where we want separate rooms we want separate wards where available but we want sensitivity so that if there is a lady who is going through something which is sensitive you think as a ward practitioner as a nurse in charge of a department where is best to place this woman when I myself went in to have a miscarriage because it was a um, a missed miscarriage and I had to go in um, to have drugs to help me miscarry my baby um, I was placed in a in a in the early pregnancy department but I was placed in a ward next to older ladies who are going through hysterectomies there's ways and means of doing it with sensitivity and I mean even speaking to a nurse recently in a local hospital she told me that a heavily pregnant student nurse was forced to work in their early pregnancy department she was about eight and a half months pregnant helping women miscarry there was no consideration for either women and she said everybody found it a really awful situation there's insensitivity in every area so for me it's more about bringing up the sentence is this an infertile friendly area is this is there anything we can do to ensure we are helping this person along the way so for me medical courses university departments medical institutions IVF clinics even architectural firms planning new hospitals they need to be asking that question is this an infertile friendly situation is there anything that we can do to make it easier for couples going through infertility. I myself have frequented most of the hospitals in the northwest, and I'm aware every time I go, the gynae department is a long corridor full of chairs with pregnant women. There's actually another waiting room around the corner. So I actually, when I go to that appointment, I say, do you mind I'm just going to wait around the corner, please? Will you get me when my appointment's ready? There's nothing to stop people actually taking hold of this and thinking... What can we do within our department? There's spare rooms here and there's spare rooms there. There's actually a couple of private wards which aren't being used right now, um, which might be used if there's an emergency coming in. But for the moment, can we place this person next to someone which makes it a little bit easier? There's nothing more upsetting than when you read, I had an email saying to me, I had to recover from a hysterectomy just next to the labour ward, hearing babies crying every day and women screaming as I was recovering in the next ward. Um, the next day she had to sit and wait in the waiting room um, to see the doctor to be discharged with all the mums going out with their babies leaving home and as a result of this she can't go into hospitals because it's a constant reminder of her loss the current system is broken and it's not changed I received another message from someone um, 27 years ago she was in a bed having given birth to her daughter and the woman next to her had a stillborn baby. She said she felt guilt that stays with her, this emotional feeling of knowing that there was a woman next to her who didn't have a baby and she had one. Um, and it isn't just in the UK. I've had emails from Canada, from Africa. Um, 
people who are saying, you know, 24 years ago, this is still such a vivid memory for me and I don't want anybody else to go through this. Um, this is the long run. This isn't something we're going to change overnight. Sure. But I do have, you know, a passion to see every new hospital being built, actually being built with areas where, you know, there's a, there's a fertility section where you can go in and have fertility looked at which is separate to the pregnancy department and the pregnancy ward and the pregnancy scan department it is possible and it is possible within our existing wards to actually consider where we place people which bed we put them next to are we being sensitive to that are we being sensitive as a university to put a heavily pregnant student nurse in a department with women who are miscarrying babies you know these are our institutions which their medical oath is to first do no harm but our current system does harm to couples struggling with infertility it does harm no one should have to endure hysterectomies, miscarriages, gynae operations or medical procedures in surroundings that add to their trauma and their grief and affect their medical mental health. I completely agree. Emily, just hold that thought one second because what I want to ask from what you've just said about visiting a number of, of hospitals... Have you heard any positive examples? You talked about that other waiting room that was around the side that you chose to go in. Have you heard any feedback from the people that the women that you're interacting with that they've had this conversation? Okay. Yes, I heard one. So this lady said when we first went for our initial appointments, we had to so this initial appointments to find out if they could have children. Our initial IVF treatments, we had to walk each time past all the pregnant mums and it was really hard. She didn't say which hospital this was, but they have now changed that department. So actually, if you're having IVF investigations, you go through a completely different side door. So you don't even have to visually see pregnant women coming and going. You're in a, although it's kind of in the same building, it's in a separate entrance with a separate area for waiting. It is possible. And there's areas, you know, like IVF clinics, they should be well tuned to the fact that women are going through, women and men are going through such trauma going through IVF. And they shouldn't have to, every time they go to an IVF clinic, sit in a waiting room with babies. You know, a lot of the women who are in those waiting rooms, even in the IVF private clinics, have probably miscarried. It's a big thing that happens with IVF that you do get pregnant and then the pregnancy isn't strong enough to continue. And yet we allow them, we turn a blind eye to the fact that we're giving people in a traumatic situation greater trauma to deal with. And it, it is all about the sensitivity of it and going back to that comment that lady said we we need to have recognition that we do exist because I do feel a lot of the time that um you know too much emphasis is put on pregnant women and their needs and their problems that they have when they go through um postnatal depression but there is very little support or even out in the public domain how many people understand what people are going through when they are facing miscarriage and they're having to go into a, a department where there's you know next to the labor ward or with I mean, pregnant this, people this lack of awareness really which is what it comes down to is something that's petitions like the one that you are trying to get more signatures on and I spoke uh, earlier on this podcast with Stephanie Phillips from Childless Week about the work that she does. And we were talking about the empathy that is so lacking in these kind of scenarios. And I guess all we can do is continue to have these conversations and encourage more of us affected to have these conversations and speak up. Because unless 
we do, it, it's not going to be known the impact. And whilst we know that mental health, thank goodness, is being spoken about more and we have now in the UK Mental Health Week and Mental Health Awareness Week and, and I know that there's other things around the world, the specifics of the the infertility side of it that we've just been talking about still need to be made, I think, extremely clear to people because there is that sadness that you are forgotten when you are in this very dark and difficult place when you are your most vulnerable and I, I think that what we can take from from what you've said and what you're doing is is as well as signing the petition and and sharing the comments on the different blogs that you've you've given and I'll put all the details on the show notes is to is to try and get us to have that inner strength to speak up about it, isn't it? That was definitely one of the things that really struck me when I was listening to all these ladies. No one's spoken about actually the impact it has and the trauma it has going through years of investigations of, and dreading the hospital appointments because of of knowing how strong you have to be just to sit there for an hour before your appointment's available and it is something that you know is a burden that a lot of a lot of couples carry on their own and it does lead to you know marriage problems and stress within the relationship mm. because it's such an isolating experience and yet there's 3.5 million people navigating the trauma of infertility. It's it, we're not talking about you know a small minority of people here, mm. um, and this trauma that leaves couples facing the same stresses as living with HIV or cancer. So actually, living with infertility has the same stress as living with cancer. And you know, a few years ago, my husband went through a cancer scare, and it was very traumatic. And I, and cancer is so much more recognised and understood and one in three people get cancer so it's actually something that people can really resonate with but that was a sh that was eight week period of going through a cancer scare and we've gone through eight years of living with infertility and the stress and strain of living with that actually causes the same stress levels mm. that you have to live with and it and it affects so many other areas of your life because you're living with a constant stress so you're not able to cope and have the same resilience um, with other stresses of life so someone listening to this who didn't, who's not experienced infertility or any of the things I'm talking about thinks well what's the matter with just sitting in a, in a, a waiting room or a ward but it's the length of time that that goes on and the procedures and the vulnerability you feel in that time we're not asking actually for a lot we're asking for sensitivity and and the phrase is this infertile friendly am i putting this person in an infertile friendly area which is is going to help them along their way and reading that some people's stories and we're talking 24 years ago 27 years ago it really upsets me to think that you know because it's been unspoken about, because it's a story that is so heartbreaking that we don't open up about it, nothing has changed. And and if we start having that conversation and we start, you know, our hope is to get this to government so we can start bringing it onto a national scale and giving it a platform, we can actually start discussing, look, what do the university policies have on this when they're training their nursing staff? 
what are our architectural firms planning new hospitals? Are they ensuring they're actually taking this on board? Are our IVF clinics, are they doing the best they can for the people that are going in through their doors? Or are they just looking for good numbers on paper? So there's so many areas within this. Within our campaign, we are asking for separate rooms where women can wait for appointments, separate wards for women miscarrying their babies away from pregnant women and babies in maternity wards. We're asking for separate rooms and wards for women having hysterectomies away from early, early pregnancy departments and maternity wards. That's where we need to be aiming at. But there's nothing to say that actually within each department for any nurses listening here or in charge of, of you know, the beds of where women are coming in, have a look now what you can do. Can you, if someone is a young lady who's going through a hysterectomy, are they going into a, a physiotherapy room, which is, you know, an antenatal class? I mean, the insensitivity is just outrageous. Mm. We need to be ensuring that all NHS departments, GP surgeries, IVF clinics provide safe environments for people going through trauma. And it's trauma that can last a lifetime. I mean, the 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 sad thing that I find when I am on some of the forums is there are women in their 50s and 60s who are still grieving because it's such a deep wound and if we can do you know we can't change you know infertility for a lot of people that's been my story after many years my I'm still an infertile lady still childless but we can change the way that we help these people journey a very very difficult path and that is through sensitivity and just um, elevating their cause to making sure that we are, you know, thinking about them. Um, you know, I'd love it if I went into a hospital and there's a breastfeeding friendly poster, but there's also an infertile friendly room. Mm. Like how flipping awesome would that be? Mm. Where you could just go away from all the hordes of pregnant people and just sit and wait for your appointment. Exactly. And you've talked about what you'd hope and and like for the kind of medical profession to take on board. For anybody listening who's, you know, completely relating to everything that you've talked about and they've sat there and they felt the same, what takeaway would you like to to give them I, I actually think for a lot of the nurses that I've spoken to this isn't something that they're unaware of so a couple of nurses I've spoken to have actually experienced miscarriage and have had to miscarry in a in a maternity ward and the lady who I spoke to about the pregnant student nurse who had to help women miscarrying and treat women miscarrying she was aware of how insensitive it was you know a lot of our amazing NHS nurses are so caring and and are so understanding if there is something within your department you feel is not right or someone is in a ward and she's going through a miscarriage or a hysterectomy or um, a gynae operation and you can see that they're um, not doing well speak to the people within your department who are higher than you and just keep on pushing see if there's anything you can do and for also for women like myself uh, and for men who are going through this really hard journey of infertility I really challenge you to try and be a little bit braver I have since doing this campaign had to go and have um, a gynae consultation and um, and I've said I'm going to sit around the corner come and get me and um, and I've made it aware that I'm not comfortable in that area so you know when I'm stronger I might have more conversations and say actually I'm going to sit over in that area can you come and get me or I'm not comfortable being sat with pregnant women so I'm just going to remove myself because that's what's kind for me as I've journeyed through infertility you're taught um, ways to handle it better through counselling and that involves this 
kind of strap line, what is kind for me right now. And so if you find yourself as a man or a woman in a situation which is making you feel even more anxious, even more upset and traumatised, don't just sit there, which we always do, with our heads bowed down and our tears flowing. Go and speak to a nurse who looks friendly and say, I'm not feeling great in this situation because of what I'm going through within infertility. Is there somewhere I can sit a bit quieter that I can just have a little more peace? And be brave because I think the more people start saying that, the more awareness within these departments will start getting. And that is the biggest thing for me, a challenge for me is to, you know, the next time I have to go for a, an operation or a consultation is to find my voice again because you feel so battered and so worn down by this you know relentless journey it's really hard to kind of find your voice and be strong and be brave and courageous and and we are go back to that lady when she said we are you know invisible almost um our pain is accepted and validated well we need to start fighting that then we need to start making sure that our pain is made aware and we need to start having a, a voice together and saying actually this this isn't right this is unjust this isn't helping me um within my mental health what can you do to make it better because you know our nhs is a, a wonderful institution and um we have so many caring members of staff that if they knew what we were going through they probably would actually go out of their way to see if they could make it a little bit easier but if we keep it quiet then it's not going to change. Emily, it's been brilliant talking to you. You are an amazing spokesperson for this, considering that uh, with your own health at the moment, I know you're not 100%, and you'd said to me before we spoke that that might be the case, but you were so eloquent on that, and it's so clear how passionate you are, and I completely understand why. And I hope that, you know, if we can get the message out a bit further with the podcast and we'll share the link to the petition and we'll try and get, I know you've given yourself the deadline of October 2018. We're speaking in July. So let's see if we can rally up the troops and get more names on that. That would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah. We're currently, we've got 1,856 signatures. So we're looking to get 10,000 signatures in order for this to be raised within parliament and government and to bring up, raise up the profile of this kind of really serious campaign looking for change within you know and this is a long run this isn't just going to happen overnight we understand that but we really do want to raise a profile to let people going through the situation understand that they are important and their experience does matter right we'll see what we can do emily brilliant good luck with your consultation tomorrow yeah i've got um consultation and then i've got um more procedures (laughs) to go through so yeah keep me posted you are amazingly strong probably stronger than you realize (laughs) you've spoken about what you just did was was amazing so thank you i really appreciate it thank you very much for giving me this opportunity natalie i really appreciate it thank you emily so the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash your voice Go and have a look. You'll get to see how you can get in touch with Steph. She talked about guest bloggers and all about World Childless Week and all of the details of Emily and the petition for Infertile Friendly. We really, really need your signatures. So do sign, share everything you can do. We as the TTC community can do to kind of spread the words. And I'm always keen to hear your thoughts on the episodes. So you can email natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com 
or contact me via the website. If you haven't yet had a look at the Ultimate Fertility Guide, which is my online directory where I'm bringing all areas of the fertility industry to one place, and alongside all the listings, there are live Facebook chats with different experts. Do go and have a look. The Facebook page as well is where the live streams happen, and it happens on my Fertility Podcast Facebook page. So two different places that you can watch the live streams and hopefully ask questions and find out a little bit more because all I'm always trying to do is give you more information to be more empowered on your journey thank you as always for your support and until the next time 